prayer. And I want to encourage you as I'm encouraging everybody to take a moment right where you are and pray with me. Let's go to the Lord together. Father, how we need renewal, how we need you to get involved in our lives individually, in the life of this church, in the life of America and the world. Lord, we want you not only to be our Savior, but to be our Lord. And thank you that we can go to you 24-7. And we have a way of confessing. And we have a way of asking for healing. We have a way of asking for guidance. And we want our way to become your way. My path, our path to be your path. And our prayer always is thy kingdom will come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, beginning in the life of all of us who are praying now. And may it just permeate everything in our culture. Oh, Lord, heal our land, beginning with your healing in my life and others. Is our prayer made in the name of the resurrection and the life, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the National Day of Prayer, and we thought we'd open up the show with a little prayer. And that comes to us from the minister of the Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Hello, I am John Rawl. I'm going to tell you more about the, the Reverend, the good Reverend we heard there in just a second. Welcome in to Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent, where we mix in all kinds of Southern goodness. And if you want to be part of Y'all, Hey, we're here to take your input and put it down on paper. Our number is 803-816-1170. That's the way to get in touch with us here at y'all.com. And also you can email us, mail at yall.com. We're getting some feedback from our listeners. We sure appreciate it. In fact, stay tuned in today's Y'all Show. Yours truly got a question about some travel into South Mississippi, and I'm going to share some of my food and travel tips later in the show so don't don't be bashful just fire away with whatever questions you might have even if it is about an upcoming trip you're going to be taking we're happy to help out here on the the y'all show see we're a southern show and we southerners now we we like to help each other out and that's what we're going to do the man that you just heard was pastor dr ed young Ed Young is the senior pastor of the Second Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, and he is a native, speaking of South Mississippi. He is from Laurel, Mississippi, and he entered the University of Alabama as an engineering major, but decided to end up going to Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi, good Baptist school there, where he got his degree there, then went on to get a degree from the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, pastor there in North Carolina for a while before going to Taylor's South Carolina to be the pastor there before moving on down to Columbia to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Columbia. Then he went to the big city to be the preacher at Second Baptist Houston. He's been involved in the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time. In fact, he was president of the SBC back in the early 90s. If you keep up with uh, evangelical the instructors and stuff like that. This guy's pretty pretty famous out there, and that's why we thought today that we would have 
Edwin Young, Ed Young, Dr. Ed Young, pastor of this church in Texas, come on and tell us the good news. The 84-year-old Pastor Young from Texas. Now, this is National Prayer Day, and I hope you all will take a moment at some point to talk to the man upstairs, get a little divine help. But yeah, it was this day back in 1952 that while soldiers were fighting in Korea, President Harry Truman signed a congressional resolution calling for a national day of prayer. And since 1988, this event has taken place on the first Thursday in May. And today, President Biden has released a statement declaring today to be the National Day of Prayer. So if you have an opportunity, perhaps you'll take just a second. You know, the one thing about prayer, it's free. You can do it whenever you want to. You can do it with your eyes open. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can be uh, you can be down on your knees if you'd like. Or you can sit there in the comfort of your car and just t- say a little prayer. And if you're... Uh, Inclined to, to do that, great. If not, that's fine, too. We're y'all. We're talk with a southern accent, and glad to have you on this National Day of Prayer. Okay, what else is going on across the southeast here today as we have an action-packed show going on on this y'all show today? Well, we've got some sports news coming up here in just a few minutes that we'll share with you, and we'll tell you about a no-hitter, Baltimore Orioles pitcher, almost a perfect game. I mean, we've had two almost perfect games in Major League Baseball in the last month. Well, last evening, Tuesday, or, or yeah, it was two, Wednesday evening, it was a darn close one for the O's. I'll tell you all about it. Then we'll go to Nashville, and there's a guy that on many of our stations could have preceded this show, a guy named Clay Travis. And did you notice, if you tuned in to Fox Sports Radio today, he was not on the show. What is Clay Travis up to? Well, you know what? Clay Travis is a sellout. And I'll explain in our sports headlines in just a minute. Clay Travis is a sellout. Oh, goodness, I said it. I'll tell you why I said that later on in today's Y'all Show. Also, this hour, speaking of good sports, you're going to hear from Nick Saban in our SEC report here this week. But not only are you going to hear from the Alabama coach, we're going to let you hear for the first time on this show a guy that's moved into Alabama from the great state of Idaho. Brian Harson is the new head football coach of the Auburn Tigers. And on Wednesday, Coach Harson and Coach Nick Saban were together, that's right, together at the Regions Tradition Pro-Am event at Greystone Golf and Country Club just outside of Birmingham, That is where a PGA Champions Tour event is taking place this week and a lot of celebrities in for the Pro-Am event. And we've got audio from Coach Saban and Brian Harson at this event outside of Birmingham, and we'll be sharing that with you later this hour. Don't miss out on the fun. And we're going to let you learn a lot more about Coach Harson and what he did at Boise State and now taking that right here to the south, to the SEC and I think you'll enjoy hearing about him. Plus, I'll tell you about who their golfing partners were on Wednesday. Pretty fun stuff there. Also, this hour, quick look at some hashtag hullabaloo, a, a trip around social media, all that coming up here in this first hour of y'all. In hour two, we've got a look at a bunch of entertainment stuff. We've got news from Country Music World coming your way. And I tell you, it's going to be some good stuff, including Alan Jackson news coming up in hour 
number two. And then hour three, it's our closing argument. Art Cruz will be in. He's got some things to say about the St. Louis Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves, plus other sports notes. And then, again, in hour three today is where I will mix in my travel advice as we got a question that came in on the mail at y'all.com email inbox and 803-816-1170 is how you can catch us if you don't want to do the email route you can just text us questions and advice or whatever else you have out there and so we'll be talking about a trip to south mississippi and we'll be mixing in some festival news in hour three as well we've got a bunch of festivals taking place across our southeast here this weekend and it, it's almost like the old days now that we've got festivals popping up back when we had festivals almost every weekend and usually about 10 different festivals to choose from in a certain, uh, depending on what portion of the South you might be in, you might have so many options. And now, thanks to things opening up, we could be back in that position, and that is a, a good position to be in. Well, we told you that President Biden has declared this to be the National Day of Prayer. President Biden will actually be in the South as he's going to Lake Charles and New Orleans promoting his American Jobs Plan as he's there today to promote this plan to revitalize infrastructure and create millions of jobs in America. This is, again, part of his Getting America Back on Track tour, and it focuses on rebuilding the comforts country's infrastructure, fixing highways, rebuilding bridges, upgrading ports, airports, and transit systems. Right now, if you go look at the grade the White House gave for the Pelican State, a D-plus grade overall for its infrastructure. As Louisiana's had all kinds of extreme weather events, 30 actually if you count them up from 2010 to 2020 in that decade, 30 extreme weather events, most of those I would say would be hurricanes coming through the Gulf of Mexico, pushing into the state of Louisiana. The president will arrive at lunchtime at Chinot Airport in Lake Charles and deliver remarks on the American Jobs Plan near the Calcito River Bridge at 125, and then he'll go on to New Orleans. He's set to depart New Orleans for Joint Base Andrews around 540, so he'll be at New Orleans around 2.30 today at the Carrollton Water Plant. Again, Joe Biden in the South today in Louisiana, specifically promoting his infrastructure agenda. Now, how about a story coming out of Columbia, South Carolina? The South Carolina State House of Representatives there voted on Wednesday to add a firing squad to the state's execution methods amid a lack of lethal injection drugs Now, this is a measure meant to jumpstart executions in a state that once led uh, a lot of of, of deaths of an electric chair, I know. But its state, the South Carolina, once had one of the busiest death chambers in the entire country. The South Carolina House approved the vote by a 66 to 43 vote, and it will require condemned inmates to choose either being shot or electrocuted if lethal injection drugs aren't available. South Carolina is one of only nine states in the country to still use the electric chair and will become only the fourth to allow a firing squad. South Carolina last executed a death row inmate 10 years ago. Today, actually, 10 years ago. Now, the Senate in South Carolina has already approved this bill by a vote of 32 to 11. So it looks like Governor Henry McMaster there in Columbia will have a chance to sign this and make a firing squad an option for 
criminals in South Carolina. Now, usually firing squads are reserved for the military. I, I don't I don't know if in the pecking order of a way to send a convicted criminal off to the beyond if a firing squad should even in the, be in the mix, but evidently it is. I have a real – how can it be that here in this world we live in, in 2021, that there's a shortage of drugs that you can have to kill somebody? I remember, I think it was in Oklahoma about two years ago, a execution there went awry, and the, the injection, the drugs used there, the, the I think it's called a cocktail, believe it or not, they weren't strong enough, and the person on death row there ended up surviving or maybe had serious effects afterwards, maybe ended up succumbing to the uh, the poison, if you will. But, yeah, a lack of lethal injection drugs causing states like South Carolina to consider <laughs> mixing in execution by firing squad. How about that one? Don't see that one every day here in the southeast. A sad story out of South Mississippi on Wednesday, a man fleeing police after killing two in Louisiana got on Interstate 10, crossed into Mississippi, got to Harris County where you'll find Biloxi and Gulfport. This man ended up getting in a, a confrontation with police there in the Biloxi area. I used to and dread when ended my up, daughter would take off her shoes in the car because of the come dead on, rat smell. Stop that. Stop that right now. Okay. Yes, this man ended up being in a skirmish with police. And he had a three-month-old in the car with him, and this three-month-old died from a gunshot wound after a, a shootout happened there. And this man is accused of a double murder back in the East Baton Rouge Parish of Louisiana. 30-year-old Eric Darrell Smith entered his ex-girlfriend's Louisiana home shortly before noon on Monday and shot and killed 32-year-old Kristen Parker and her 26-year-old nephew, Brandon Parker. Then he fled and he took the kid, who I think was his kid, with him. And that's when he got into the state of Mississippi and he fled in a blue Nissan Altima. And I think on the median of Interstate 10 is where he tried to cross over, got stuck, and a, a shooting took place there. Unfortunately, the young child, the three month old, was hit by one of those bullets and died. And this man also died a tragic story coming to us from Harrison County in the state of Mississippi. Now, speaking of the Gulf South, if you will, President Donald Trump Jr.'s son, Donald Trump Jr., is now criticizing Alabama's proposed gambling legislation, calling it a a bad bill. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out his statement on Wednesday, one day after or one day before today, they're debating this in Montgomery, the Alabama House is considering debating a vote on a gambling package that is currently wrapped up in three bills. The linchpin bill, SB 319, would require a constitutional amendment that would be placed on the November 2022 ballot. And Donald Trump Jr.'s tweet said, Bad bill, if you're going to legalize gambling, actually legalize it. But giving it monopoly to a small group of casino bosses is just a special interest giveaway This bill would stop the world's best gaming operators from opening world-class resorts and casinos in Alabama. That from Donald Trump Jr., who has a position there with the Trump Organization, as they have a presence in some of our states around the country, 
with golf courses and other entertainment options. Now, Trump's tweet was in response to a tweet from National Republican strategist Andrew Surabane, who called the Alabama gaming plan as anti-competitive crony capitalism. So in Montgomery today, they'll be taking this up and perhaps pushing forward legislation that just might irritate Donald Trump Jr. Now, Donald Trump Jr.'s daddy is a pretty chummy with the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and the Sunshine State governor has announced a $1,000 bonus to Florida first responders and he says, quote, we're, Lots of guys we're funding the police. Right now, but we can all get back in the game. That's what he says there. And I've got to stop these people from interrupting our show. He says, we're funding the police and then some. And this move comes as progressives continue to pound the drum calling for defunding the police. But, yes, there in the Sunshine State, the governor coming up with a plan to actually give first responders a nice little $1,000 bonus. He was flanked by first responders and members of law enforcement during a news conference in front of the Satellite Beach, Florida Police Department on Wednesday. During the event, he also announced he would sign the state's budget into law. So once again, Ron DeSantis, some people are mentioning his name as a possible candidate for president of the United States of Florida. No, just kidding. United States of America, if he were to go forward in 2024, I'm sure he's waiting on his Florida citizen, a guy down on Palm Beach, to make up his mind about what he's going to do in 2024. More political news. This comes from a Republican senator from the Volunteer State. Senator Bill Haggerty says he's going to visit Guatemala and Mexico in an effort to help resolve the migration crisis. Now, his visit to Guatemala in June is, or rather, he's going this month, Kamala Harris is set to go to Guatemala in June. Now, Haggerty's going to get to Guatemala a month before the vice president. How about that? And remember, a lot of criticism coming in from the vice president right now because she has yet to go to the border where she's the czar, if you will, of immigration and the crisis there. And now Bill Haggerty, Tennessee's new senator, he just took over a couple of months ago, He's visiting Guatemala and Mexico this week in a bid to help get to the bottom of how this country can help stem the migrant crisis at the southern border. So look for him to go down south and make some news and and, uh, maybe make the vice president a little jealous that she hasn't already headed south here. And I think her husband, by the way, Kamala Harris' husband, is going to be the second gentleman in Memphis today. So some of the members of that family are getting away from Washington. I think I saw where she's going to be in Rhode Island. That's not the direction she needs to be going in if she wants to be in charge of the border. She's uh, she's sending her husband, him off to Memphis. She ought to maybe make plans to follow Haggerty South, in my opinion. Hey, speaking of South and speaking of Texas, where some of these folks are crossing over, a lawyer there known as DWI Dude has been sentenced to more than 15 years in federal prison for falsely promising Colombian drug traffickers that he'd get their charges reduced in exchange for cash. And now, DWI dude, Jamie Balagia, a 65-year-old attorney, heading off to the Huskow, sentenced money to 188 months in federal prison. See, lying to Colombian drug lords is still a crime here in this country. And he'll go off to federal prison for Again, falsely promising 
these Colombian drug traffickers that he'd get their charges reduced or even dismissed in exchange for cash. I guess they gave him a lot of cash along the way. Bellagia conspired with a private investigator in Florida and an attorney in Colombia to scam the Colombian drug traffickers into paying attorney fees for acting as intermediaries with government officials who said they would accept bribes to dismiss criminal charges or reduced prison sentence. Now, how well do you think Mr. DWI dude is going to be treated in prison? They say, I haven't been to federal prison, they say that those prisons all have the gangs and the, I guess, the drug traffickers still have a presence behind bars. Something tells me DWI dude's going to have a rough go of it in prison. And if he can make it out of there, good on him. Of course, his age is not necessarily in his favor right now. And lastly here, let's tell you about a, another bizarre thing. One of the When we write the history of the coronavirus, somewhere in there will be a chapter on how we as a society kind of got through this last year. And somewhere in the footnotes of how we got through this last year will be Tiger King. Well, Tiger King's Carol Baskin has launched, believe this story, it's not fake news, she's launched a cryptocurrency, and she tweeted out this week, I'm purring like a bobcat rolling in catnip. The coin is called CAT, C-A-T. Its value fluctuated on Wednesday around $16 per coin. Baskin says the plans to offer coin holders special perks like live streams with her and discounts on merchandise so you can get your own Bitcoin from this Tiger King star, if you will. The owner of Big Cat Rescue in Florida was launched to stardom after she appeared as Joseph Passages, a.k.a. Joe Exotic's nemesis in this Netflix series. And now this Tiger King guy, Joe, uh, is in prison after he was convicted of hiring a hitman to kill her. (laughs) And she's taken advantage of her fame to come up with her own cryptocurrency. You think you've seen it all. All this coming again here this week, cryptocurrency and the owner of the Big Cat Rescue in the Sunshine State. Geesh. All right, we've got lots of sports to talk to talk about. We're going to do that. A no-hitter for the Baltimore Orioles on Wednesday evening. We'll have info on that. Plus, we're going to give you an SEC report before this hour is up. This is y'all with John Rawl. Stay where you are. We'll be right back. Hey, we're y'all 
good to have you back on this Thursday edition. We're getting our way to the end of the week, and we're going to make it. We're going to get across that finish line and have a good weekend here. Our first full weekend in in May, if you will take the fact that Friday last week was actually still in April. So we'll have a full May, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, everything's just so pretty this time of year. And you know what else is pretty this time of year as we get to our sports report here on the show covering everything Southern. And that's when baseball's up and going, and now they've kind of got the dust out, the cobwebs out from being in spring training. They've been playing now for a month. In fact, in our hour three, our closing argument with Art Cruz, when he's on, he's going to give us his one-month evaluation of a couple of our Southern teams in Major League Baseball. But how about this team on the edge of the South and what they did Wednesday evening, a no-no, and the first no-no in quite some time for your Baltimore Orioles. What a wonderful accomplishment, and we've got to give a lot of shouts to John Means. He meant well, and he did well, pitching a no-hitter in Seattle against the Mariners. He missed a perfect game with a wild pitch on a strikeout. Unfortunately, he couldn't get that one, but still, a wonderful accomplishment by the pitcher means for the Baltimore Orioles. And in his honor, in his great satisfaction of having a no-hitter, I've never heard this. We're going to give a little spin here to what's called the Baltimore Oriole Fight Song. So all you O's fans out there, enjoy this, If assuming it's a good quality. Like I said, you're, you and I are hearing this together for the first time. Here we go. Orioles. Oriole Pride. Enjoy it here on the Y'all Show. Okay, not sure if that's the Baltimore Oriole fight song or not, but we'll go ahead and claim it. I don't know of any baseball teams that have actual fight songs. I, I, the only reason I thought the Orioles might have a fight song is because of the fact that the, the old Colts had their own marching band. The Ravens have a song. The former Redskins have a fight song. And now I don't know if the WFT has a fight song or not, but still a, a wonderful accomplishment on Wednesday. On the road for John Means. He retired all 27 batters he faced in a 6 nothing victory over the M's at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. He did allow a base runner when Sam Haggerty reached on a third strike wild pitch in the third inning. The Orioles then called Haggerty attempting to steal second base, but the wild pitch nullifies the perfect game bid. Means pitched the first individual no-hitter for the Orioles since Jim Palmer. Remember Jim Palmer? A longtime commercial guy on TV. Palmer did a uh, pitch a no-hitter for Baltimore in 1969, the longest stretch for any team in the majors without an individual no-hitter. The Orioles had a four-pitch combined no-hitter in the 91 season, but this snaps a very long drought. The longest active streaks without an individual no-hitter entering Wednesday's game. The Orioles going back to the 69 season with Jim Palmer, the last pitcher for the Orioles to have a no-hitter. The next team up now, the team that's got the longest, I guess, absence of no-hitters, Pittsburgh, the Pirates, the Bucks. It's been since 76 since Pittsburgh's had a no-hitter pitched by John Candelaria 
and that's been 45 years ago. It's been almost 40 years since the Cleveland Indians had a no-hitter. Lynn Barker on the mound for them in 1981 pitched a no-hitter, but a very, very great honor for John Means on the mound for Baltimore. Again, not only a no-hitter, but nearly a perfect game. A, A darn wild pitch got him, and that is just an unlucky break. He is a native of Kansas. John Means is 28 years old and grew up there in Gardner, Kansas, attended Gardner Edgerton High School. The Atlanta Braves selected him in the 2011 MLB draft. He intended to sign with the Braves, but was injured when a Braves scout visited him, and the scout recommended that he go to college. He enrolled at a community college before transferring to play for the West Virginia Mountaineers. And so he played there a little bit before ultimately being selected again in the draft. The Orioles selected him in the 11th round of the 2014 MLB draft, and he's worked his way up. He first got into the major leagues 2018, and a great accomplishment on Wednesday in Seattle with his first and hopefully first of many no-hitters. He's got a younger brother, Jake, who's played college baseball at Indiana State before being selected by the Royals in the 2019 draft. So his younger brother, also a professional baseball player but for John Means and Baltimore a no hitter on Wednesday congratulations how about this story we're going to pick on a Florida State alumnus here for a minute if you don't mind Chicago White Sox manager Tony La Russa. yeah this is not a blast from the past yes Chicago if you haven't paid attention the White Sox the Southsiders hired 70 what is he 74 74 year old 73 maybe turning 74 this year year old legend on in baseball legend in life born in 1944 tony la russa he'll turn 70 77 here this year he's 76 now born in tampa in 44 right in the middle of world war ii and he has been a coach of the chicago white sox in 1979, he was hired there. He, that was his first gig as a White Sox manager. Larusa was there until 86. Then he went on to the A's and the Cardinals. Well, he's now, after 10 years away from managing, back as Chicago's manager. The three-time World Series champion baseball coach won a World Series in 89 when he was with the Oakland A's. And then he won twice with the St. Louis Cardinals Twenty. 20- 06 as well as 2011 four-time manager of the year his jersey number 10 retired by the st louis cardinals he's in the cardinals hall of fame hall of fame coach tony la Russa. a smart guy he played baseball as a, a youngster i think he was with the a's at some point he was with the kansas city a's if you want to know the specifics before they moved out west and yeah, he played in the early 60s. But he also, after baseball or during or whenever he could get a chance, he went to law school. And he, he got a degree from the University of South Florida in 69 in industrial management. But he, he went on to FSU in Tallahassee and, and graduated in 78 from the Florida State University College of Law and was even admitted to the Florida Bar. Not really practice. He's been practicing baseball primarily 
Tony Larusa is is a smart guy. He's an accomplished guy. But you know what? Tony Larusa of the Chicago Southsiders, <laughs> he he didn't know about Major League Baseball's new extra inning rule. He admitted it. Said he didn't fully understand the rule, and that would have allowed him to avoid using closer Liam Hendricks as a base runner in a 0-0 game against the Reds on Wednesday in Cincinnati. So, yeah, Tony LaRusa admitting after his team lost one to nothing in the Queen City to the Reds, and he didn't know the rules of baseball. Now, to his defense, a lot of stuff's changed here. They're They're playing around with some of the – if you will, overtime rules of baseball. The White Sox named LaRusso their manager back in October, a move questioned by a lot. The Hall of Fame coach had not managed since 2011, as we told you. But, yeah, Tony LaRusso, come on now. Put the put the law book aside for a minute, coach, and look up the brand-new rules of Major League Baseball. Let's go to Jacksonville, and the Jaguars have fired four longtime staff members as Coach Urban Meyer is putting his footprint all over this organization. The assistant player development director, Andy Dingler, is out. Chris Driggers, a pro personnel guy there. The director of college scouting, Mark Ellens, is out, as well as the assistant director of college scouting, Paul Royal, all fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. The group has a combined 66 years of experience with the Jags, and now Coach Urban Meyer getting these guys out. I don't know if he was happy with the draft of last week or not, but Jacksonville really turning things up, trying to get that organization to be a contender for perhaps a Super Bowl one of these days. And lastly here in our Southern Sports Outlook before we move over to the SEC in the upcoming segment, congratulations to Nashville's own Clay Travis. Now the Fox Sports Radio morning host, he's on many of these same radio stations every day. If you're a Fox Sports Radio affiliate and you're listening to one of these great affiliates across the Southland today, Clay Travis and his Outkick, the coverage company, it's called Outkick Media, has been sold to the Fox Corporation. And Clay Travis will join the company to serve as president of Outkick and will operate as an independent brand under Fox and leverage its content across its existing platforms. Outkick launched... Ten years ago, Outkick the Coverage launched as a digital platform for Nashville sports station WGFX-FM, where Clay was an afternoon co-host and a CBSSports.com writer. He left there, ended up being on Fox Sports Radio starting in 2016 as the morning host and has a booming company. If you've ever listened to him, he is not afraid to tell you how well his company's doing as he's been able here recently to mix in the 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 sports aspect alongside the conservative political aspect to his credit clay travis but again i picked on him when we got this hour started clay travis selling out and i bet you clay travis has sold out and made a few extra pennies with this move as fox has now acquired his own personal company outkick the coverage and outkick media congratulations and if you tuned in to Fox Sports Radio today, noticeably absent, was one Clay Travis. He was somewhere probably in Nashville, or maybe he'd already gotten on a jet and flown somewhere a lot warmer, counting his pesos on this day after Cinco de Mayo. He might have been still celebrating Cinco de Mayo, and who can blame him? 
Don't know what all this is going to mean if you're a big Clay Travis fan, but it does mean that his company has been sold to Fox. That I can tell you. Well, we have it sold out here on the Y'all Show. In fact, we're all about y'all instead of Fox. And when we come back, we're going to be all about the Southeastern Conference. We'll give you the SEC report. we got some audio from both the Alabama Crimson Tide coach and the Auburn Tiger coach. All that here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Where the y'all show war eagle to you, Auburn fans. You're going to be hearing from your new head coach in just a few minutes, Brian Harson. He was on the golf course Wednesday in Birmingham, and he, alongside Nick Saban, both spoke to the media. We'll let you hear both of the coaches from the heart of Dixie on this, our SEC report on a Thursday y'all show. All together now. War Eagle, everybody, and Roll Tide 2, and uh, Go Big Orange, and what else we got out there? Go Cox, Go Big Blue, M-I-Z-Z-O-U, Woo, Pig Suey, yeah, don't want to leave them out, Go Tigers, that would be G-E-A-U-X, let's see, uh, Giggle Maggies, Go Gators, yeah, uh, how about them dogs, sick them? Uh, I'm trying to mix them all in here. Don't want to leave anybody out. Hell State. Also got uh, Roll Tide. Uh, Anchor Down, Vanderbilt, yes. And uh, Hotty Toddy. Gosh Amati. Who the heck are we? Yeah, we're the Y'all Show. I think I've got them all covered there. If not, you can pick on me later. This is, again, our SEC report. See, that's the fun that we can bring on the Y'all Show. Ain't no other radio show in the country not even a sports show that's nationally syndicated at least outside of maybe outkick the coverage could have just gone through the 14 member institutions of the southeastern conference and told you what the heck their fans yell out to each other but we can do that because we got the credentials we're right here in the southeast and i could also go through the other conferences and do the same thing the the friendly monikers they go by all right What's not friendly in the SEC is when you got a defection. And Tennessee has a defection. Defection alert. Defection alert. Javante Payton is transferring to Rocky Top from Mississippi State University. That's right. Former Bulldog wide receiver announced this on Wednesday, saying, I was always meant to be home. He is a native Nashvilleian. And now he's heading to Rocky Top, six foot one, 180 pounds. Peyton caught 19 passes for 225 yards and a touchdown in 2020, had nine receptions for 147 yards in 2019. Peyton appeared in 22 games for the Bullies and had five starts in his time in Starkville. He attended Hillsborough High. He's a Hillsborough Borough. And he's also a guy who went down to Mississippi to be a community college player for the Rangers of Northwest Mississippi Community College there in Senatobia. 
But now he's back across that state line into the volunteer state. And although Tennessee had offered Peyton out of high school and junior college, he ended up going to Mississippi State. But he's trading in that maroon for that bright orange, or should I say big orange, of Tennessee. And now some offensive help coming to Coach Heupel there as Tennessee has a former Mississippi State Bulldog, Javante Patterson, a new member of the Big Orange Football Factory. How about the Heisman odds for 2021? Something we don't really think about too often in the month of May, but why not think about it? We can do that here. And USC Trojan transfer, speaking of transfers, I wouldn't call it a um, uh, defection whenever you're going from the Pac-12 to the SEC, but when you go from SEC to SEC, yeah, some people may not like that. But I think the SEC is happy to have JT Daniels He came in in the 2020 season after riding the pine for a while and had a chance to show what Georgia had thought that he could do. And he led Georgia to a New Year's Six Bowl and a victory over Cincinnati there in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And now the Dogs QB for 2021 has a pretty high chance of winning the Heisman Trophy in 2021. Odds makers at William Hill have updated the odds for this year's Heisman Trophy. And JT Daniels is now listed at 12 to 1 odds. That's fourth best. He was tied at fourth best with North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell and others out there. Let's see. Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler has the best odds at 11 to 2. Clemson quarterback DJ Ugalele remains at 7 to 1 odds, moves up from third best to second best. So, uh, good news, Bulldog fans. You've got a good quarterback, it looks like, headed into the 2021 season. And JT Daniels is right now among the leaders from the SEC for a potential Heisman Trophy winner. Now, that's great, but that won't get you paid. What will get you paid is being a first-round draft pick in the NFL draft. And there's a darn good chance, if you're a first-round draft pick, you played your college ball at the capstone. Congratulations to Alabama. Alabama's class of 2017 their recruiting class from that year four years ago it eight players from that 2017 recruiting class have now been first round nfl draft picks now some of these went in the 2020 draft some have gone here this year let me tell you these eight these fantastic eight players all first rounders from the same recruiting class for nick saban Devonte smith heisman trophy winner mac jones now a new england patriot Alex Leatherwood, Najee Harris, now with the Steelers, Tua Tagvola, who went last year to the Dolphins in the first round, Jarrett Wills Jr., a a Cleveland Brown, went in the 2020 draft, Henry Ruggs III, and Jerry Judy with the Broncos, all those same guys. They all rolled onto the Alabama campus at the same time in 2017, and now they're rolling high in their respective communities as first-round draft picks in the NFL draft. Pretty amazing what Saban has done. Well, Nick Saban's got some competition of, of, of the future, at least. Aggie coach Jimbo Fisher doesn't worry about his team beating Alabama in the future as he took a playful shot at the coach of Alabama, Nick Saban, during a appearance this week at the Houston Touchdown Club and some audio obtained by the Houston Chronicle Jimbo Fisher was asked what it would take to beat Alabama other than the retirement of the 69-year-old Nick Saban. And Jimbo Fisher remarked, 
We're going to beat his ass when he's there. Don't worry. I like the optimism. And and A&M's given Alabama a little bit of a fight over these last couple of years with Jimbo. But in the end, it's been Alabama, the winner. And you'd have to go back to the previous dynasty, the uh, Kelvin, whatever his name, I've already forgot, that uh, was at A&M when they first entered the SEC. It's been since the Johnny Manziel era that Alabama went down in flames to the Aggies. How about the projected SEC West finish in 2021? Mr. College Football Tony Barnhart has come out with his projections for the SEC West. He's got Alabama at one and Texas A&M at two. Following those two teams, LSU, Barnhart's got LSU at three, Auburn at four, the Mississippi Landsharks at five, the Mississippi State Bulldogs at six, and seven. He's got in the uh, back of the pack the Arkansas Razorbacks. And Barnhart on Twitter, Mr. CFB, by the way, is his handle, Mr. College Football. Says, anybody got a problem with that? Feel free to share your list. So we appreciate Mr. Barnhart for sharing that with us. All right, here's some scheduling news for the future. Go ahead and make plans for the year 2035 as the Missouri Tigers have added a road trip that season to BYU. And Mizzou also has future games against Army, San Diego State, and Louisiana Lafayette. So some scheduling news coming out of Como for the Missouri Tigers. Now some audio on Wednesday, the Alabama head coach Nick Saban alongside the Auburn new coach Brian Harson were both at the Regions Tradition Pro-Am at Greystone Golf and Country Club outside of Birmingham. This is a PGA Champions Tour event here this week, and these coaches alongside some other celebrities were there in the area to attend this pro-am, and both of these coaches spoke to the media. And you know we're going to play that audio here on the Y'all Show because we don't often have a chance to hear from people like Nick Saban. But here's Coach Saban talking briefly about his golf game and his Crimson Tide to start things off. He's answering questions from the reporters gathered there on the golf course. So here's some brand-new audio from Nick Saban, coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and then we'll hear from the Auburn coach right here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. You look tan, so you've been playing some golf, right? Uh, I was in Florida over the weekend, so I played a couple of times. How did you play? Uh, not great, <laughs> uh, but that's normal for me. What's, what's, what's normal? What's expectations? If you have high expectations, you get really frustrated. So I try to stay focused on the process, uh, not the outcome. <laughs> so it's a, it's a challenge, though, especially when you don't play a lot. But when I play, you know, like some time, I can play okay. But when you play two or three times in February, then two or three times in May, uh, doesn't work out too good. Yeah, you got to play Not for me. Yeah. Um, looking back on last fall, COVID, your issues with COVID, you run the table against the SEC, you win a championship, I know you're not one to brag, but would you lump that season into one of your biggest accomplishments ever? No, I don't think it's my accomplishment. I think, you know, we had a great team of people who made, um, shown a lot of uh, resiliency and being able to adapt and adjust to 
you know, a different kind of time. I told the players in the beginning of the season, you know, we got shut down hey, on March 13th. We got him one you know, whoever handles the disruptions of this season the best is a team that's going to have the best opportunity to come out on top. And, you know, our players sort of took that to heart. And regardless of what we had to do, they always seemed to do it um, the right way. And it helped us develop into being a pretty good team. We had really good senior leadership. We had really good leadership on the team. Uh, had a lot of good players, and they all played well. So um, a lot of people contributed to the success of the team. Uh, the coaching staff did a great job, and uh, you know, everybody in the organization really made it possible. And I'm just happy to be somebody involved. And that was the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, the greatest college football head coach ever, Nick Saban. And you can honestly say that after what he's done at just Alabama, and that's not even factoring in what he did at LSU back in the 2003 season, winning a national championship there. All right, Nick Saban's been on patrol in the heart of Dixie for over a decade now. Brian Harson is brand new to the scene of Alabama, Auburn, and the Iron Bowl as he's come over from Boise State to be the new coach of the Auburn Tigers. Former Boise State quarterback, played QB for the Cougars back in the late 90s, and now the new coach of the Auburn Tigers. On Wednesday, he got to play golf alongside Charles Barkley and Bo Jackson. And by the way, if you've seen Charles Barkley's golf swing, he says he's improved his uh, bad word that starts with an S and ends with a Y, actually, his S-E golf swing and it looked pretty good charles sir charles looking good on the golf course there in his native birmingham but he played with coach harson on wednesday and the great bo jackson two great tiger greats and we're going to hear now from the auburn coach as he's entering his first season brian harson is 44 years young and he again it comes over from boise state where he'd been there since the 2014 season and now he's got a big challenge ahead getting auburn back to the mountaintop of college football. Here's Coach Harson talking a little golf and football on the Y'all Show. Coach, as you've gotten acclimated to the state of Alabama, what have you enjoyed most about just the culture and really just getting used to being on this side of the world? Yeah, the people. It really has the the Auburn community. You know, when you come into a, a new job and you've got 122 players, you're going to hire staff, so you've got 200 plus people in the building. Everybody's charging towards a goal, right? You set a goal, we're going to win, we're going to do these things, this is how we're going to do it. And it's easy to get, you know, just that camaraderie and that energy and that, and that focus, you know, all together in one area. The people that you really think about are your families and how are they going to adjust and what's their life going to look like? Are they going to make friends? Are they going to be able to find the right doctors, people to go to, and all those things like that? And it's just been phenomenal. You know, my kids have really adapted well, my wife's been taken care of and got a chance to meet some really good people and it's and it's because the community has stepped up they've embraced the families and not just mine our coaches have said the same things they're moving into new homes and that's been the biggest for me in, in the different uh, the different moves we've had that's been different here I think just uh, how we felt how we felt embraced um, the people the community they talk about the Auburn family I think a lot of people use that Every program is our family. You hear that word quite a bit. You really feel that here. And we have as, you know, my family, our staff, everybody. So I've been impressed with that. And it feels a lot like when I was at Boise, I thought one of the best things that we had going for us was our community. When, when players and families would come on campus, they'd see the facility and we'd do all those things. 
they got in the community, and by the time they get to my office on Sunday, there was some story about somebody in the community that said something good, and, and it really made the difference in recruiting. And so I feel the same way when we get uh, these players now and families able to come join us in June and be on campus and be around our, our uh, coaches and be around our players and then get around the community. I think that's going to be a big factor for us to be able to get these guys and just let them feel like this is the environment they want to be a part of. And, you know, it is. It's just different. So I feel I feel a lot more comfortable with that. I'm used to that. I, I enjoy the, the culture piece, the family piece. I uh, enjoy that atmosphere. Uh, I'm proud that our coaches and their families uh, are really enjoying themselves. We don't have anybody that's like, what the heck do we do? Uh, and it's been good. And I know we haven't played a damn game yet either. All right, fun stuff there from the brand-new coach of the Auburn Tigers, Brian Harson, speaking Wednesday outside of Birmingham at the Regions Tradition Pro-Am at Greystone Golf and Country Club. All right, that wraps up our SEC report here for this first hour. We'll wrap up the first hour after this quick timeout on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent War Eagle. Hey, we're wrapping up this first hour of y'all. Quick look at the y'all email inbox, mail at y'all.com. Cynical couple writes, my left hand is super swollen because of carpal tunnel, so I haven't been wearing my wedding rings, but we're going to go jewelry shopping, so I have to put them back on. Hashtag Southern. Yeah, we we Southerners, if you, if you got one of them wedding rings, you kind of have to wear them a lot of times. Thank you for that again. Mail at y'all.com is how you can... Write us a note or text it at 803-816-1170. John Rawl, this is y'all. We got a whole nother hour of y'all coming up after the break. Zipping through more of the y'all show. If you've got your bona fides, your southern credentials, we are here to let you know what's going on in this part of the country. And if you're spying on us, you want to know what the South's all about, well, this is a pretty good way for you to know what's going on in this part of the world. Let me remind you, the most booming portion of our country, we've got about almost half of the United States of America calls the 16 southern states home. Yeah. How about that one? They didn't teach you that in school, did they? I don't know what they're teaching in school these days. But they better be teaching y'all, and they better be teaching y'all to tune in each and every day on great radio stations and or our podcasts. Check it out at Apple Podcasts. Also, you can get us at iHeartRadio.com. Also, I just saw this last night. Tune in radio. We're right there. If you wanna if you have that app on your smartphone you can find the y'all podcast y'all show is what it's called and subscribe that way you don't miss a single second of the show that's all about the south and then it's always posted at y'all.com if you look there on the home page of the south you'll see a big red box it says y'all show click on that one and you'll see every show we've ever done and you'll also see i hate to tell you you better be warned you also will see the video interviews that we do on this show. So if you want to see yours truly in the flesh, although it would be virtual if if it's a video, but if you want to see y'all being y'all, then go to y'all.com and check out all the fun on the homepage of the South. Here in this hour two 
of Thursday's Y'all Show. Reminder, the National Day of Prayer going on today. We had Dr. Ed Young get us going here in this show today. He is the pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. That church, by the way, was started in 1927. How would you like to always go around and tell people, I'm with the Second Baptist Church, I'm with the Second Methodist Church? It's like, well, who's first? Who's on first? Who's on second? Well, in this case in Houston, Dr. Ed Young and his church, which is no small church, by the way, uh, doing well. And, And reminder, again, today, National Day of Prayer. I know there's events all over the region as people are honoring today's mark of being the National Day of Prayer. And frankly, I got to give a special shout out to my own pastor who told me about it and reminded me about it. I'm sure I would have known that. But yes, he did tell me when I was there in the house of worship on Sunday. And I said, well, I'm going to make a note and talk about it. So Reverend, I appreciate it. All right, let's look at headlines here on today's Y'all Show. And what's going on across the southeast? Well, we here at Y'all cover the news of the day, the sports of the day, and so much more. And as it is National Day of Prayer, President Biden has officially declared that. And then President Biden got on a plane here today, and he is in Lake Charles as the president is in that part of Louisiana to promote his American jobs plan. He will also be scooting over to the Crescent City where he'll have a mid-afternoon press conference there in an effort to revitalize the infrastructure and create millions of jobs in the good old U.S. of A. President Biden's trip is part of his Getting America Back on Track tour, again, making two stops in Louisiana. By the way, the Pelican State had a D-plus grade overall for its infrastructure. The White House gave it that mark, so I guess when you make a D-plus, the president's going to come visit you but that's what's going on today have you heard about what south carolina's doing they're adding firing squads to the list of possible execution methods not official governor mcmaster has not signed it into law but the state house there in columbia approving the measure 66 to 43 for firing squads so if you were on death row and you had to be sent packing what would your preferred choice be would you want to be shot Would you want to be electrocuted, or would you want to have a lethal injection? Well, the reason South Carolina and other states are even considering adding firing squads because the lethal injection route doesn't work, and and right now lethal injection drugs are not available, supposedly. I haven't looked into the lethal injection drug market lately, but yeah, that's why Palmetto State legislators are doing this, and I've seen where other southern states have botched executions because the cocktail mix needed to to off somebody that's on death row just hasn't worked so yeah in south carolina looking to maybe add firing squads south carolina last executed a death row inmate in 2011 and now this bill which has already been passed in the senate looks like it'll move on to henry mcmaster the governor and governor foghorn will have a chance to make that a new law in South Carolina, execution by firing squad. I think that's the way I would choose. I, I definitely would not want to be electrocuted. I mean, that you talk about uh, scary, and I still got walking the mile, walking the mile, walking the green mile, that movie with Tom Hanks that was filmed in Tennessee, by the way, outside of Nashville, a lot of, large part of that movie. Yeah, something about electrocution and, and, and uh, death row just is not a good plan. I'll go with the firing squad route. 
A sad scene from South Mississippi, Harrison County, where Biloxi and Gulfport are located. A shootout there on Interstate 10 has left a three-month-old baby dead, and the baby's father also killed. The father was actually trying to get away from police as he's accused of killing, I think, the baby's mother and the baby's uncle over in Baton Rouge. And then in Mississippi, a gunfight erupts right on Interstate 10, and this man, 30-year-old Eric Darrell Smith, is killed by police, and the three-month-old baby, who I'm sure police had no idea was even in the car, ends up being a gunshot victim and dies as well in an awful scene in the state of Mississippi. Again, this guy alleged to have killed two people before fleeing police into the state of Mississippi. Now, if you're a Tennessean and you wanted to go to the state fair this year in Nashville, I'm really confused about what is actually going on at the state fairgrounds just south of downtown Nashville because, man, I used to go there every year for an exhibition that was held in December. I lived there for a long time, and the state fairgrounds is, is not an area you normally go through if you live in the Nashville area, but that area is supposed to be turned into a major league soccer stadium as Nashville's got a MLS franchise now, and that's supposed to be developed into that. But it's also been in the news here lately that they're going to try to convert the Nashville fairgrounds into a NASCAR speedway because it used to be a NASCAR speedway and they used to have pretty big races, although it's a short track there. And so I think, again, I haven't been studying all the events of the Nashville fairgrounds lately but i think ultimately it's going to be a combination of a soccer stadium on part of the property and a nascar track on the other part of the property and and i guess they got enough land to do all that and i used to go out there a lot because that's where they used to have what was called fanfare and i would spend days working at fanfare which was an awesome country music event that they totally i think butchered when they moved it downtown and renamed it cma music fest it's just not quite as intimate as it was in the old fairground days. Of course, it used to be hot as heck, and they didn't have air conditioning in most of those buildings. Uh, that might be why they moved it. But, yes, it looks like uh, maybe the fair, the old days of the fairgrounds being a fairgrounds could be coming to an end. And I know it's coming to an end here for this year, as the 2021 Tennessee State Fair will be actually taking place in not Davidson County, where Nashville is, in Wilson County, as this is moving this year to the James E. Ward Agricultural Center in Lebanon. And you got to know how to say it. It's Lebanon, Tennessee. And so, yes, the Tennessee State Fair now moving a county to the east to Lebanon and Wilson County. So the State Fair, Governor Lee announced that in partnership with Wilson County and Wilson County Promotions, the Tennessee State Fair will be one of the largest and strongest in the country I think the State Fair Commission and General Assembly for prioritizing the investments needed to expand facilities, showcase our agricultural community, and ensure the best possible experience for Tennesseans. Now, last week, the General Assembly on the Hill in Nashville passed a state budget for the 2021-22 fiscal year, and the budget provides $5.3 million in funding for this newly combined event. So it looks like going forward, that's where your Tennessee State Fair is going to be. If you want to go get a corn dog and an elephant ear and ride a couple of rides, you'll have to catch I-40 East to Wilson County because the State Fair is going to be combined with the Wilson County Fair. Well, that explains that.
and you won't be able to go to a fair in Nashville anymore. That's kind of sad. That's real sad. But I've seen a lot of communities out here that even have active fairs at some portions of the year. They'll be in an abandoned parking lot, maybe at a shopping mall or a big chain store or something, and you'll see these like miniature fairs pop up for a couple of days, and and you're thinking, ain't no way I'm going to go out there and ride one of them rides. That thing will break on you. And I've seen those things be filled up with people. I mean, hundreds if not a thousand people out there riding these miniature fairs that are kind of pop-up events across the southeast. How about Walt Disney World? Speaking of a good time, Walt Disney World is banning a former employee who was fired for drinking water from the park's decorative fountains. (laughs) You don't drink from the fountains of Disney. And no, you don't do that. But Jason Jeter claimed that the Walt Disney World had specifically taken issue with two of his TikTok videos. One shows that he entered a closed but unlocked wedding pavilion and another in which he tested the water from different decorative fountains around the Disney parks and then rated them on a scale of 1 to 10. So he's he's doing a, a water test. I think this is probably a good public service that Jeet, as he goes by, uh, did there. And now... A uh, former cast member at Walt Disney World banned from the result, resort allegedly for life. I mean, you don't mess around with Walt Disney's water. And this guy's doing that, yes. He alleges, Jeter, that he had arrived at the parking lot near the Grand Floridian to get food, but noticed Disney World security circling his car when he got out. He claims the Orange County Sheriff's Office presented him with a trespass warning, telling him he was no longer allowed on the property. And he further claims that Disney security and a Disney World, quote, investigator explained the trespass warning, although Jeter did not reveal what they actually said. And then, again, he says on his TikTok video, and you know if it's a TikTok video, it's going to be 100% accurate, right? He says that he's banned for life. Poor guy. I kind of feel sorry for the fellow. He was just out there testing the water of, uh, that's pretty funny, testing the waters, literally, of Disney World. All right, let's go to the bluegrass of Kentucky where business owners are choosing to laugh instead of getting angry about being hit by a string of vandalism after vandals have thrown rocks into windows at five Lexington, Kentucky shops. These business owners have now created a T-shirt to make light of the situation. I don't think I'd be laughing about it, but with Kentucky for Kentucky's help, a cup of Commonwealth created the shirts which read, Broken Glass Coffee Shop Tour 2021, and it's got a listing of the different stores hit in Lexington, Kentucky by vandals. I mean, what kind of knuckleheads are going around breaking windows, and what kind of person that owns a shop would be promoting the fact that their shop had been damaged by these vandals? Yes, broken windows, and they're taking and, and I guess, putting a, a, a different spin on it. Funds collected from selling the Broken Glass Tour t-shirts go toward the businesses to help reimburse the cost of replacing their windows. Yeah, a positive spin there coming from Lexington. Now, another kind of positive spin, but this is this could spin out of control, actually. And this comes to us from Gardendale, outside of Birmingham, where a Chick-fil-A owner and the adjacent jewelry store are now engaging in what's called a sign war, but it's all really done in fun, supposedly. You got Jeff Dennis Jewelers in Gardendale, he started a sign war with the nearby Chick-fil-A, and now they're kind of going back and forth with signs against each other in Gardendale. One sign read for the jewelry store, 
our drive through is faster than Chick-fil-A's. And then Jeff Dennis Jewelers captioned the photos, one, two, three, four, I declare a sign war. And Chick-fil-A, which I'm a little surprised that the Gardendale Chick-fil-A did this because Chick-fil-A usually is pretty uh, uptight, if you will, with how they handle things. A few days after the jewelry store sign went up, the Chick-fil-A had changed its own sign to read, Overflow Parking, located at Jeff Dennis Jewelers. (laughs) And now these two having some fun there in Gardendale sign wars, and it's pretty funny to see. I mean, a sense of humor. And to that Chick-fil-A FSU there, the freestanding unit of Chick-fil-A, the owner. How about me dropping the Chick-fil-A lingo here on a Thursday y'all show? How about that guy? Not afraid to maybe get a telephone call from Atlanta about him putting his own personal spin on things there for that operation. Although I will tell you that Chick-fil-A, I don't think, is hurting for business there in Gardendale. And it's not hurting anywhere else around the southeast. You even have brand new locations going up. A big story out of West Tennessee on Wednesday. Check out WNWS.com for a big story about Chick-fil-A there. A guy named David Thomas all over that story. Yeah, Chick-fil-A doing quite well, dog. All right, y'all continues on here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we've got, speaking of great stuff going on, an entertainment update some Britney Spears news that we'll share with you here on the Y'all Show. So don't miss out on that, as well as a guy that literally has lived all over the South before heading west to make his fame and fortune, Steven Soderbergh. We're going to tell you about him. And I got the top five songs in all of Billboard, the Billboard 200's top five songs. Some of them, I'll be honest, I have not heard. Some of them I may not want to hear, but I'm going to share it with you. And I'm going to do that right after this break here as the Y'all Show continues. And don't forget, you can catch us anytime here on Talk with a Southern Accent at 803-816-1170. We're available to get your feedback. Entertainment news plus country music news straight from Nashville's Music City and Music Row. All that headed your way on Talk with a Southern Accent. into y'all hey i'm john Rawl. man it's great to be with you we've got 
this hour here that we're in and another hour our closing argument comes your way in hour three art cruz will be in and we'll get his take on that no hitter thrown by the baltimore orioles on wednesday out on the left coast and more of course what comes your way when art's on it's very entertaining for sure when he's on here on the show all about the south and also we're going to have here this hour entertaining news from entertainment the entertainment world and we also have a good report coming from music row in nashville here in just a few minutes some aj allen jackson news to share with you and other good stuff all right let's dive into the old headlines of the entertainment world and let me just give this guy a little bit of a special salute because well first of all he's a He's kind of a big deal in Hollywood, all right? So that that's, for one, something he needs some credit for. But his early life was pretty amazing, too, because you talk about getting your Southern passport stamped. I would say Steven Soderbergh definitely has had that. He was born in Atlanta in 1963, okay? This director, producer, writer, cinematographer, editor, and Southern American. Born in Atlanta, but then... His family moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and then moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He actually graduated from LSU, I think. Let's see. He attended for high school. I'm sorry. Soderbergh attended LSU's laboratory school for high school before graduating and moving on to Hollywood. His father was dean of education at LSU, and so he kind of bounced around the southeast in a couple of different states there as a youngster growing up in the late 70s but then again as he as i said he kind of got into the film world and more his directorial breakthrough was the indie drama sex lies and videotape that came out in 1989 and that starred a fellow southerner of soderbergh's south carolina's own andy mcdowell was the big star there in at age 26 steven soderbergh became the youngest solo director to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, and the film garnered worldwide commercial success with numerous accolades. I guess that was for Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. He also directed the crime comedy Out of Sight, the biopic Aaron Brockovich, the drama film Traffic, and he also won an Academy Award for Best Director for that. The now 58-year-old Steven Soderbergh, who, again, has those connections to the Southeast, one of Hollywood's upper echelon, if you will, directors and more. And a guy with, I'll I'll give him props, about 24, 25 years ago, I'll go ahead and admit, I had a celebrity crush on someone. And this person wasn't really that big of a celebrity, but she was on a TV channel that I watched back in those days a fair amount. And I just thought she was the cutest thing. And I liked her a lot. And Steven Soderbergh up and stole her away from me before I ever had a chance to say hello to her. And to their credit, the Soderberghs have now been married since 2003. I'm talking about former E! Entertainment personality Jules Asner. You'd have to go back to the 90s to even remember seeing her on TV. But he married her, and they've been married now almost uh, 18, 19 years. And I think they got a couple of kids together as well. So, Stephen, good on you for that accomplishment there. But Soderbergh is in the news now because he's explaining exactly why the Oscars switched up 
their ending. We just had the Oscars a couple of days ago, and on well, we've been talking less than 10 million people watched it and more. Well, Soderbergh was among the producers of this year's event, and he spoke to the L.A. Times about switching the categories toward the end of this year's Oscars, and he says, that was something we were going to do well before the nominations came out. We talked about that in January. It's our belief that I think is not unfounded that actors' speeches tend to be more dramatic than producers' speeches, and so we thought it might be fun to mix it up, especially if people didn't know what was coming. And what he's talking about was the fact that the Ending was a little different due to the decision by producers that it had to do with late actor Chadwick Boseman this year. As a reminder, producers had switched the order of the final awards of the night, so Best Picture was announced before the lead acting categories. Boseman, a native South Carolinian, by the way, nominated for lead actor for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, was highly favored to win. Instead, that Oscar actually went to Anthony Hopkins for The Father, but he wasn't in attendance, and the show kind of ended abruptly. So a weird ending. And director Steven Soderbergh, who directed this 93rd Oscars on April 25th at Union Station, L.A., explaining what happened there to the L.A. Times. I'm, I'm glad we got that one figured out. But uh, looking more, I mean, I don't know what Soderbergh's done lately from a directorial standpoint. I guess I could go here and click on his IMD and tell you all about it. Let's see here. His HBO Max has a couple of his works. Let Them All Talk came out in 2020. This year's No Sudden Move and then something called KMII, KIMI coming out in the future. No Sudden Move is a crime thriller, thriller directed by Steven Soderbergh and it stars John Chadel. I know, I know the face. I don't know if I Cheedley, whatever his name is. You, you know who I'm talking about. It's also got John Hamm. You might remember him from the Netflix series. Uh, what? No, it was, it's on Netflix. I guess it first started on another cable channel. But uh, yeah, the uh, John Hamm guy that was all over TV, uh, Mr. Heartthrob, if you will, for his role in Mad Men the series that went for about eight years. I think it started on AMC now that I think about it. Uh, Brendan Fraser also in this. It's No Sudden Move, and it will be coming out at some point here in 2021, and that is directed by Steven Soderbergh. All right. We told you a little bit about this in Hour 1. We'll repeat it as part of our entertainment headlines. A star of Tiger King, Carol Baskin, has launched a cat-themed crypto coin, just what you need for Mother's Day. Yes, at her sanctuary in Tampa, Florida, Baskin's Big Cat Rescue Animal Sanctuary. Carol Baskin, the Tiger King star, purring like a bobcat rolling in a catnip. That was what she put on Twitter this week as she is launching her cryptocurrency. And, yeah, it's doing quite well if you're into that kind of thing. Check that out. Uh, Cryptocurrency and Tiger King star there together. Just what we all needed. You know, what we all need also is a Britney Spears update And the Kentwood, Louisiana native is tired of all the documentaries being made about her life, specifically when it comes to her court-ordered conservatorship. Brittany posted a lengthy message to her more than 20 million Instagram followers here on Monday night. She wrote, So many documentaries about me this year with other people's takes on my life. These documentaries are so hypocritical, they criticize the media and then do the same 
thing, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Spears went on to write, I don't know y'all, but I'm thrilled to remind you all that although I've had some pretty tough times in my life, I've had way, with a couple of A's and an extra couple of Y's thrown in, I've had way more amazing times in my life, and unfortunately, my friends, I think the world is more interested in the negative. She could be right on that. Of course, this is not the first time Spears has been on social media opening up about her life. All this stems from a court battle between her and her father, Jamie, over a $60 million estate. You kind of have to feel a little sympathetic for Britney Spears here. I mean, to her credit, she is going out on social media and kind of like our 45th president sharing with the world her thoughts on things. And she has a right to be upset about how people are hypocritical to her. I mean, these people are making a lot of money on her. And I would say on her good name, but that's definitely debatable there. But yeah, Britney Spears, you know, Britney, if you want to tell your side of the story and not have it be critiqued you can just come on the y'all show any old time you want to we can do it on the phone we can do it in kentwood or we can go right there to the border you can stay in louisiana and i'll be on the north side over there toward macomb on the mississippi side macomb is where she went to high school or her early years if you will magnolia heights academy i believe is what it's called there in macomb mississippi and and we'll we'll just make this thing happen because I mean I, I mean give Britney Spears credit for one thing she's had a rocky relationship with her family she's had a rocky relationship with the media I mean she's kind of been all over the place beloved as a real youngster but then they turned on her and then she's had all of her personal problems with men and usually let's be honest. Usually, if you're a male, at some point, you're going to have a personal problem with a female, especially if they're a lover, (laughs) if they're a spouse. And on the flip side, if you're a female, there's a darn good chance at some point you're going to have personal problems with those opposite sex types, okay? Unfortunately for Brittany, since she's a star, hers gets written up in all the tabloids and stuff. But, you know, to her credit, I don't know if she's ever been on drugs. I'm not aware of her being on drugs, but she never has turned to drugs and she's still with us there's been a lot of people who've been of the same sort of caliber of fame as britney spears who aren't with us they turned to the drugs and the drugs got the best of them so to her credit let's give britney spears one of our own a little love here on today's y'all show we love you britney hit me hit me one more time baby all right here is britney's not on the top five of the latest billboard 200 but who is I'll tell you. And here's a guy at number five on the Billboard Hot 200 that's also kind of been a a youngster, a, a, a child superstar that's also adjusting to adulthood. And we're not sure how this one's going to play out. But actually, so far, the Canadian's doing pretty well. He, I think, has got a kid now. He's married. Justin Bieber is at five on the latest Hot 200 with Justice. How about that? Way to go, Justin. Of course, he teamed up with dan and shay and had a big country music song here in the last year justin bieber at five on the billboard 200 country music's own eric church and soul is at four on the billboard 200 right this second the north carolinian continuing to do well and 
all forms, and his soul is debuting this week at number four. Morgan Wallen, another country music singer, this Tennessean who's kind of been banned by country music for saying that word you just can't say, according to, to some, you just can't say it definitely if you're a country music singer and you're Caucasian, at least in Morgan Wallen's case, because he got caught on a security camera here recently. Dangerous, the double album from Morgan Wallen, is at three. So he can't be on award shows and he can't be on the radio. I think he's been pulled from almost all country music stations for the time being because he was acting like an idiot and said some things he shouldn't have said, but it got captured. And oh, Lord. Uh, number three, Morgan Wallen finds himself on this Billboard 200. Number two, Young Thug and Various Artists, Young Stoner Life, Slime Language 2. I'm going to have to download that one as soon as I get off the air here today. That's the number two on Billboard 200. And brand new, oh, the perfect Mother's Day gift. Mama, this one's for you. At number one on the Billboard 200, Money Bag Yo's A Gangsta's Pain. I bet you that one's definitely fit for the whole family. Moneybag Yo and A Gangsta's Pain is the number one song or number one album on the Billboard 200. That is some great things to know here on today's Y'all Show. You know what? The entertainment fund's just getting started. When we come back on Y'all, you stay where you are. We're going to switch over, and we're going to take you from Tinseltown and all these other places around the world that have entertainment stuff going on. We're going to take you there to the bright lights of Music City, where we'll have our entertainment report. It's all about country music, and we'll share with you what's going on with some of the big stars of country music, including a little update on what's going on with Ray Lynn. She's expecting a baby girl. You might remember her from when she was on national tv and more info on her plus another starlet ingrid andrus news about her and jake owen has a number one with made for you i'll have info on all of that information coming from music row and it's up next as the y'all show rolls on here in this second hour Tell them about it, Alan. This is the Y'all Show. We're going to take you now to Nashville and Music Row for an update on all things country music. In the second hour of Y'all, it's our weekly look at what's going on in Music City. And I'm John Rawl, who worked alongside the country music singers throughout the 90s and 2000s and had an office on Music Row. So I, I know a little about country music and uh, if you know a little then you're the right spot too and if you know a lot well then that's even better come on in if you don't know nothing about country music well this is your great opportunity to learn about the superstars of the nashville davidson county home of the grand Ole opera all right i was trying to think of uh, the man with the nudie suits is what i was trying to think of there 
I never actually owned one of those things, but I had a great interview one time uh, in Y'all that Marty Stewart wrote for Y'all all about Manuel, the famous designer of those nudie suits. And Alan Jackson, I think, has worn a nudie suit. I know Dwight Yoakam definitely has worn the nudie suits from Manuel. Those, you know what I'm talking about, those classic kind of western more western than i call country but with the glitter and all that fun stuff that you'll see a lot of times by some of the performers and i don't blame them it looks pretty impressive when they have those things on but alan jackson in the news because he will join his fellow grand Ole opry singer vince gill and the most publicized singer of 2021 mickey guyton those three will be amongst other artists taking part in the 2021 National Memorial Day concert. This will be a pre-taped 90-minute special airing May 30th on PBS, and it will honor the men and women in uniform, their families, and those who have given their lives to serve their country. Other musicians taking part in this National Memorial Day concert on PBS include Sarah Burials, Den- Denise Graves, Gladys Knight, I know how to pronounce her name, and actors Mary McCormick and Steve Buscemi, I think is his name. Uh, Mickey Guyton will perform the National Anthem. Now, she just recently was a co-host of the ACM Awards. And Alan Jackson and Vince Gill will perform during the event, which will include a 20th anniversary remembrance of September 11th, as well as the 70th anniversary of the Korean War, the Forgotten War. This event will include a special tribute to the 2nd Ranger Infantry Company, the Army's only all-black Ranger Infantry Company. The event will also honor more than the 265,000 nurses who've served this country during the Vietnam War. That was a lot. I mean, that's often not even thought about, the nurses that went over to Southeast Asia and helped out the War of Vietnam from roughly 65 till 75 when it officially kind of came to an end. But we had... 55,000 Americans lose their lives there in Vietnam, and some of you here today might have served there. Thank you for your service. Some of you might have had loved ones die in that war, and we'd never want to forget. That's why we've got that a wonderful Vietnam memorial there in Washington, D.C., and tributes all around the country. And here on this show and in this part of the world, we definitely will always honor our brave veterans who not only gave their life, but those also who survived and then had to come back and live their lives here in the southeast and still have the horrors of war with them each and every day some of you know exactly what i'm talking about now what about alan jackson what he's what's he up to what's the tall georgian up to he's actually getting ready on may 14th to release his first studio album in six years where have you gone huh I'm looking forward to that one. Alan Jackson, where have you gone? And this is out again on Friday of next week. It will include 21 songs, 15 of which were written by Alan Jackson. His longtime producer, Keith Stegall, collaborated collaborated with Alan Jackson on this project. And it's good to know that Alan and Keith Stegall are back together because there was a time around 2000, Alan he was doing so well that he decided to kind of break off and do something a little different. And I think I'm right on this. He actually had Alison Krauss produce him. And I, I thought that was some of the worst Alan Jackson music we ever ha- had. And, 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 and you know what? I wasn't wrong on that because 
they were that was when his career started taking a big turn the opposite direction i like allison kraus and i think i'm right that's who produced him 20 years ago but yeah his his career didn't need that edge to it he, he he's alan jackson he uh i'm Ar- hello i'm alan jackson that's what he would probably say here on today's y'all show some of these songs on this include the personal song you'll always be my baby and i do which were written for his daughter's weddings he also wrote where her heart has always been for his mother's funeral and that is on here too now alan had one of his daughters got married a couple of years ago and her husband died either on the honeymoon or just within like the first couple of months of their marriage, his son-in-law. So I know there's been some tragedy within the Alan Jackson household over the last few years, and we don't want to forget about that. But Alan Jackson, new music headed your way come Friday of next week. And again, he, Vince Gill, Mickey Guy, all part of PBS's Memorial Day weekend festivities. Ray Lynn, the singer-songwriter, and her husband, Josh Davis, are going to expand their family. She's going to be giving birth to her first child in September. And she announced on Tuesday that she and her husband, Josh Davis, are having this child. And they got married back in 2016. And she wrote on Twitter, Well, this Georgia peach and Texas rose did the thing. Happy birthday to me. I'm 27 years old and 21 weeks into carrying our baby girl. And she put this out this week. Ray Lynn. Again, 27. Her birthday was May 4th. She was born in Baytown, Texas. Happy birthday, Ray Lynn, at 27 years young. She graduated high school early back in 2010 and then got on The Voice, the 2012 edition of The Voice. You might remember her as she was there alongside Adam Levine and Blake Shelton. Her audition song was Hell on Wheels by Pistol Annie's. That's Miranda Lambert's group. And she did quite well on The Voice. And then she ended up getting a record deal in Nashville on Warner Brothers Nashville. Her album actually went to number one in 2017. Wild Horse was that album and did quite well. The songs from that included... The top 10 God Made Girls, that went to number seven on the country music chart and was a platinum certified song, God Made Girls, from 2014. It's been seven years. She needs a hit song. She needs a hit song and a baby. Well, she's getting the baby. She needs a hit song. It's coming up, I'm sure. After she downloads baby, she'll be downloading another hit song. But, yeah, she also was a guest appearance on on the song Boys Around Here. And that was Blake Shelton's big song that he did with Pistol Annie's and Friends. She was part of that, the boys round here. Yeah, that's a good song. She That song went to number two on the chart. But Ray Lynn, the Texan and her hubby, having a baby. Congratulations. A uh, baby girl headed their way later in the year. How about this starlet, Ingrid Andrus? She is in the news following her number one hit, More Hearts Than Mine. Ingrid Andrus has garnered three more Grammy Award nominations. And this beautiful singer, performer Ingrid Andrus, has announced the release of Lady Like That, an Amazon music short. And this is a movie, and it will be debuting Friday of next week, the same day as Alan Jackson's song. And this music, or, or it's really kind of a film about her music career, Lady Like That, chronicles her early career success. 
Ingrid Andrus. And some of you, like myself, I've, I've seen her name. I didn't know she was that successful. Let me let me check this out because I've seen her name a, a lot, but I haven't necessarily heard her nonstop on the chart. She's had one song that would be considered a hit, More Hearts Than Mine, and that was out 2019. It went to number three on the country music airplay chart. That's good, but it ain't that good. Her album has only reached number nine on the album sales chart, Lady Like, that debuted in 2020 on Warner Brothers Nashville. But I guess if you want to go out and do a little short film about how great your career is going, then more power to you, Ingrid Andrus. The More Hearts Than Mine singer is a Berkeley College of Music graduate, considered to be the most prestigious music school in the country. She double majored in songwriting and performance. And now you can check her out on Amazon Music's A Lady Like That, Headed Your Way, May 14th. A music short from Ingrid Andrus, Grammy nominee. And now, what's the number one song? It comes to us from former Florida State Seminole golfer Jake Owen. He's at number one with Made For You. And this teams him with Walker Hayes for a new track, Made For You, is the third number one hit from Jake Owen's Greetings From Jake. And this is his ninth chart-topping Billboard Country Airplay hit, Made For You, written by Neil Medley, Benji Davis, and Joey Hyde, produced by Joy Moy. Made for You is also the, I guess I said, the third number one from this greetings from dot, 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 Jake. And I got to love what Jake put out on Twitter when this went to number one. The first word on Twitter when he tweeted it out was y'all. He wrote, y'all made for you is number one song in the country. You all made this happen. This really was made for you. Thanks so much to Country Radio for supporting me and my incredible big loud team for always crushing i can't wait for y'all to hear what we've got coming way to go jake Owen, the native floridian out with a number another number one song and a good guy and a darn good golfer to remember he's the one that got into a little uh tiff if you will with phil mickelson they were both at i think it was jordan spieth's wedding i think is where it was and that was just after last year Phil Mickelson had that uh, golf tournament the day after Thanksgiving. It could have gone back a year before that. And a lot of people, it was a, pay, it was a pay-per-view type deal, and it was really uh, not so good. And people had to pay a lot of money to watch it. And Jake Owen made a smart aleck comment to Phil Mickelson about it. And Phil made several million dollars off this one little one-on-one tournament, and Phil – gave him a very funny and smart-aleck answer back and and told him he could take his money and take it where the sun don't shine. Pretty cool on Phil Mickelson, if you want to know the truth. Uh, But, yeah, Jake Owen, number one, I guess he'll be counting his millions, too, with all the success he's got going in country music. We'll take a break. A Southern Accent Report is coming up next. It's a Southern Accent on business, and that is headed your way after this timeout. Southern accent. Here's the Business South update from Yaw.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Kanye West has been at the center of various public views with other artists over the years, including Drake, Taylor Swift, and Jay-Z. Now the infamous rapper is in hot water with his biggest opponent yet, Walmart. The Arkansas-based chain of superstores filed a notice of opposition to West California-based shoe brand Yeezy, citing that the proposed logo for Yeezy was too similar to their own iconic six-line yellow sunburst. 
Yeezy's new logo, which consists of an eight-line yellow sunburst made of dots, has been claimed by Walmart as being similar enough to cause damage to their own brand. The big box store does not sell Yeezy products, and therefore it would likely cause confusion between the two brands. There is a precedence for this belief, as Yeezy had updated its logo for a collaboration with The Gap by mimicking Gap's familiar three-letter logo. Walmart is not the first company to go after Kanye, with Yeezy being sued in 2019 by a Japanese fabric company, Toki Senai Co. Business, news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, that is Kobe Bennett and the Southern Accent here for this hour, too. That will put a wrap. Art Cruz is locked and loaded and standing by, and he'll be on with his closing argument. we got a whole lot of good stuff coming your way in Hour 3. Included in that will be my answer to some fan mail about what to do when traveling in South Mississippi in a couple of days. i got some restaurant suggestions and more. Maybe Art has a little knowledge of that portion of the Magnolia State. All that coming up when y'all's Hour 3 gets going after this break. everybody we're here for the closing argument i'm john rawl with art cruz now in this third hour we're wrapping up a action-packed thursday you all show art good to have you back in here we're going to talk about no hitters an update on major league baseball now one month into the 2021 season and other fun stuff that art's got right there ready to go how you doing sir welcome in thank you john early in the day uh don't know how it's going to turn out yet i know we'll be fine here on the radio hey, but you, you just... got to be an optimist come on now well i mean and i'm know. not talking about that organization that likes a, the op- no like the, the kiwanis guys i'm enough i'm an optimist but i'm also <laughs> enough t- enough of a realist to know that you know some days you're the pigeon and some days you're the statue and then uh, it remains to be seen which one of those i am today we'll go with the pigeon you're speaking of birds we're going to talk about the Baltimore birds here in a second with a big deal Wednesday out in Seattle and other stuff you've got to talk about. Uh, so I, we'll just dive into baseball. How about okay. the incre- incredible performance on Wednesday night by the Baltimore Orioles? Their first no-hitter since Jim Palmer did it back in 69 as John Means was perfect, almost really perfect, almost with a perfect game as Baltimore won over Seattle 6 Zero. Yeah, that, that, it's amazing that it's been that long since the Orioles have had a no-hitter. Of course, the Orioles, back in the days of Jim Palmer, that you mentioned, had some of the best starting pitchers in baseball. I can remember off the top of my head, those were the days of Dave McNally, Jim Palmer, Pat Dobson, Mike Cuellar, just fabulous starting pitching. And with that kind of tradition, I was surprised that it had been – since 1969, since the Orioles had a no-hitter. But I really believe this game is going to be one of those that's going to be a, a good trivia question sometime in the future. John, I believe, the question is probably going to go something like this. Name, name the only pitcher in Major League Baseball history um, who didn't allow a walk, who didn't hit a batter, and... In the game, there were no errors, but yet he didn't pitch a perfect game. And that's pretty tough, not to allow any hits, not to allow any walks, not to hit a batter, and no errors. 
you would think that would be a perfect game. But in this case, uh, on strike three, on one occasion, uh, John Means threw a wild pitch, and the runner reached first base. So um, that's what kept him from pitching a perfect game. But he wasn't. He wasn't greedy afterwards. He said it wasn't a disappointment. He did face the minimum number of hitters. The the um, runner that reached was thrown out attempting to steal. But, uh, my gosh, uh, that is uh, quite an accomplishment for a guy that, to my knowledge, I don't believe that before yesterday he had ever pitched a complete game of any kind, much less a no-hitter. John Means, former West Virginia Mountaineer college baseball player, now a Kansas native, but ends up with the Baltimore Orioles and the great accomplishment there with a no-hitter. He is 28 years young. Just had a birthday back on April 24th. And with a no-hitter for Baltimore, as I said, the first no-hitter there for that franchise in more than 50 years. Which brings up the question, Art, you kind of remind me of Jim Palmer. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know why, um, but given the status of Jim Palmer's bank account and his good looks, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth with that comment. Yeah. I'll just say thank you and and, and move on. Now, uh, if you were I, around a television throughout the '80s and '90s, Jim Palmer was all over all kinds of endorsements, wasn't he? Though. And I haven't seen him on any TV uh, commercials here lately. Have you? I guess um, that's just his way of telling us he's made enough money. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. Uh, Palmer was a great pitcher, uh, great postseason record. Uh, he was a crybaby. I know back in the back in the day, people would say with Jim Palmer, it's either sigh or cry. He felt like he ought to win the Cy Young Award every year. Uh, but what Baltimore teams they had back then? Boog Powell at first base. Uh, Brooks Robinson at third base, later on Frank Robinson playing right field. Uh, just solid, solid teams year in and year out. I believe that team uh, that played in the World Series was 71, I believe, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They lost to the Pirates in seven games. But uh, a, a great tradition of pitching in Baltimore. And uh, But, golly, Baltimore has had its problems lately, John. They just haven't fielded a competitive team. They're in a tough, tough place in the American League in the same division with the Yankees and and uh, Toronto and the Red Sox. But uh, John Means hopefully gives them a little cause for some uh, optimism for the future. One one stat that I did see from the game that I was really heartened by and. I like to talk about baseball, of course, and pitching. And I've had the good fortune to pitch, uh, excuse me, to coach some really, really good pitchers uh, during my time. Uh, those guys with the talent really make you look like a good coach. Uh, but you ask any of the guys that I was ever around and ever coached, ask them what Art Cruz told them was the most important pitch in baseball. And I guarantee you, all of them will answer the same thing because my mantra was the most important pitch in baseball is strike one. (laughs) It is so important. Statistics show that if a pitcher gets out in front of the hitter, 
uh, he can his possibilities are endless at that point. The way he can attack the hitter, the way he doesn't have to throw strikes the rest of the at bat, the way he can get the hitter out on his terms. And during that no hitter yesterday by John Means, I noticed that of the 27 batters he faced, 26 of them, 26 out of 27 hitters, he got a first pitch strike. Now, you can't do that every time, of course. Uh, you're not able to do it every time as a pitcher, and you're not going to be able uh, to have good enough stuff to throw it, that first strike by every hitter, every outing you have. But that is just a small example of why it is so important when you watch baseball. Notice if the first pitch, the pitcher starts falling behind, one ball and no strike, two balls and one strike, two balls and uh, three balls in one strike. The hitter has the advantage, and he will hit a pitch that that uh, that he wants. But when the pitcher gets out in front like John Means did yesterday, great things are possible. He did that, and he's getting out ahead. Unfortunately, his team, the Orioles, find themselves in the cellar of the AL East. As we took a look at the standings right now in our spotlight of Major League Baseball in that AL East, Yes, the Orioles are down there at the bottom, just below the Dunedin Blue Jays. Is Dunedin. That, huh? Dunedin. Dunedin, Florida. They, Of course, with the COVID regulations this year, there can be no travel back and forth between the United States and Canada. That's why in the National Hockey League this year, all of the Canadian teams are playing in one conference you might call it and all of these teams in the united states are playing in another conference there's no interleague play uh during the year between canadian teams and teams based in the united states and uh, the canadian government is still uh under the under the uh i don't know how to put this and put it bluntly yet honestly and and likely they're still traveling under the pretense that uh, covid can be used to suppress the freedom of canadian citizens and the canadian citizens are thus far allowing it to happen but there can be no travel across the border for professional sports teams thus the uh, the blue jays are playing in the friendly confines of dunedin florida a town that i recall is about fifteen thousand people right outside clearwater yeah and now I think that's over with. They're getting ready to go to Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. And play. Right. But uh, I didn't know they were in Dunedin yeah, yeah. Uh, until but I just saw that they were moving to Buffalo. I thought they were already in Buffalo. Yeah, that was um, Dunedin has been the spring training home for the Blue Jays for good grief. I don't know how many, for decades. Uh, but I'd much rather play early season baseball when it's cold. I would much rather play early season baseball in Dunedin, Florida, than in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> Tampa Bay, speaking of Clearwater, the local team there, the Rays are 17-15 and 15 in that AL East. The Red Sox are atop that division right now. Central League, uh, Central of the American League, you've got the Indians atop that, followed by the White Sox and Royals with similar marks. Twins and the Tigers mop up the bottom of the Central Division of the AL. In the West, the A's have the commanding lead by two games, if you will, 19 wins over 13 losses for the A's. The Mariners there. Houston, they're trying to get past the Brooms. 15 and 15 is where you'll find, and the trash cans too, I guess. The 15 and 15 is the mark of the uh, Astros right now. The Rangers 
are just below them at 15 and 17, and the LA, Angel, LA Angels are in the cellar of the American League West. When we go to the NL East, the Phillies, a little bit of a surprise. They are leading that right now. All this is so topsy-turvy it can change in a series, but the Phils lead that division, followed by the Mets, Braves, Nationals, and the Miami Marlins. And the NL Central, some topsy-turvy movings there as the Cardinals right now sit atop that, followed by the Brewers, Cubs, Reds, and Pirates. And then when you look at the NL West, the Giants, a little bit of a surprise that they're the California team that's uh, right now technically in a share of the lead, but they're tied with the Padres. The Dodgers are nipping on both of their heels, followed by the Diamondbacks and Rockies. So we're roughly one month now into the 2021 season. Art Cruz is with us. This is closing argument. And what is your closing argument on how the first month of baseball has gone? Well, people get a little ex- a little too excited, I think, sometimes on how their team starts or doesn't start well. Uh, it's a long season. Uh, 162 games were, were played, and we're playing 162 games for a reason, and that is it takes that many games to identify who are the best teams and who aren't. Uh, in football, of course. Uh, the NFL plays are 16 games, and that's going to be expanded to 17 games next year. And most of the time, the vast majority of the time, 80% of the time maybe, uh, the team that you expect to win will win a football game. But not so in baseball. It's much more random. It takes more games to identify uh, who the best teams are. A lot of people like to look at, um, for instance, these benchmarks during the year. One is the 4th of July. Uh, A lot of people like to wait until then to make some sort of determination whether their team is going to do well or or not do well. Some people like to wait until the All-Star break. They say, well, you can't judge how well a team is going to do or not do until the All-Star break. I'm a a little different in that regard. I, I want to wait but I don't want to wait that long. I always thought and still do think that Flag Day <laughs> is the day that we need. June 20th? June the 14th. Ah, June 14th. Close. 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 Uh, I always, it, it's, it, it's certainly nothing special about Flag Day directly and baseball, but I think that's a good time for people to look at what their, what their team is doing, where they're at, and I think you can make an assessment on Flag Day uh, in the middle of June where your team is going, whether they need to make some moves. Or, or whether they need to put up the white flag. Or make, or make well, and make some, when I say make some moves, I mean if you're putting up the white flag, it's time to trade some people and build for the next year. Yeah, you, you hear me, Cubs? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what's going on with some of our southern teams here a month, your month diagnosis? Well, yeah, we're not at flag day yet, uh, but um, – we are a month, a little over into the season, and looking at the um, the I want to look at the Braves and the Cardinals primarily. Uh, the Braves, uh, I don't know what letter grade I'd give them, John. Maybe a C minus. Well, they got out of the gate really bad, right? Oh, awful! And I, I don't want to give them a D. That, C minus probably is something like that. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, if you're looking at somebody who is really taking the lead in terms of uh, MVP in the National League. You know, he's your guy right now. Uh, the Braves' problems really don't don't fall at his feet. Uh, 
But they have some problems, and they have more than one problem. A, a good example of the Braves' problems the other day, they played a doubleheader against the Diamondbacks. They were held to one hit. One hit in both of those games. Not one hit in each of those games. One hit in both of them. And they were teams. no hit. They were no hit by Madison Bumgarner in one of the games, and they only got one hit in the other game. The Braves' um, bullpen – uh, leaves some something to be desired. Uh, they've got some holes, and I, I hate to talk about one of our guys from here in in uh, close by in uh, Memphis, South Haven. But uh, Austin Riley is he going to come through? Is he going to be the guy at third base uh, for the Braves in the future? Uh, I think the Braves are primed at this point, and. I think they should be looking toward Flag Day, quite frankly, to to be making some moves. That they they aren't they aren't a team that's going to be uh, running up the white flag. Uh, that division, somebody has got to win it. <laughs> that's that's a truism. I'm, I'm just going to that repeat. That is a bold statement. Right Somebody's got to, and nobody nobody at this point in time, John, is taking a step and and taking control of the division. I think the Braves have the best chance to do that, but I think they need to make a couple of moves uh, in order to secure that, and I think there are a couple of moves out there for them to make. For instance, I don't think you'll ever find Chris Bryant, and I'm not a huge Chris Bryant fan, third baseman for the Cubs, but I don't think you'll ever find Chris Bryant at a value less than he has right now. Uh, last year in the COVID-shortened year, uh, he had the worst year of his career. He batted just barely over 200. He had an OPS of less than 700. And he wants out of Chicago. And the great um, Theo Epstein experiment in Chicago is over. Uh, a lot of people thought that was going to last several years. They got one World's Championship out of it. That team is being broken up, and Chris Bryant and is another one of those pieces that I believe will be sold off. I think the Braves ought to look at possibly acquiring him. Do you know that – I think I'm right on this. He lives in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, does he find Franklin, Tennessee boring? He certainly – I say that tongue-in-cheek. He was on a um, – he was on a Cubs broadcast one time. Of course, the Cubs and the Cardinals have a um, – uh, a rivalry, and Chris Bryant is roundly booed every time he comes to bat in St. Louis because he called St. Louis a boring town one time. I, no, I didn't. I didn't know if he still lived in Franklin or not. Had you heard that? I think. I, I think he's the one. One of the star Cubs lives in Franklin. I think it's Bryant. I think. To me, well, he, which goes along with you're saying he wants out of. Well, he wants out of Chicago. Chicago. And I, don't, I don't blame him. The, the Cubs are rebuilding. They've traded the only guy I believe the Cubs are going to keep out of that. World Championship team is is the closest guy they've got to a Mr. Cub right now, and that is um, the first baseman. But uh, uh, but I think Chris Bryant wants out. I think the Cubs want him out, and uh, I think that's an attractive target for the Braves. Now the Braves bullpen also major problem, major problem. Josh Hader to me is sitting out there, left-hander for the Brewers that could really obviously help uh, the Braves. Now, uh, could the Braves acquire him? I don't know. I do know that the Braves have 
one of the best organizations in terms of minor league talent in baseball. And Baseball America, I believe the latest ratings I saw, rated the Brewers as having the 28th best minor league system. This is a this is a deal I think that could get done. Josh Hader is worth a lot at this point, but the Braves have a lot to give. They have a lot of prospects. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers need a lot of prospects. Those are two moves I could see the Braves making. Chris Bryant, third base. Josh Hader for the bullpen. Uh, I believe the Braves are going to win that division anyway, John. But if they could make those two moves, I believe it would it would. Uh, almost secure their spot uh, winning the East in spite of the New York Mets spending like they have and the Philadelphia Phillies spending the way they have. To the Braves' credit, they are on a grand slam tear. Marcel Ozuno hit Atlanta's third grand slam in four games on Wednesday, and then we don't want to leave out, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation, Huskar Yanoe. Yeah, that's good, John. He became the first Major League Baseball pitcher to hit a grand slam since 2018, and he crushed the ball here this week against the Nationals. So not often do you see a pitcher with a grand slam. As you said, the Braves, you you project that they'll be right there in the thick of the NL East uh, race at the end of the season. That's where they've kind of found themselves over the last few years. Mm-hmm. They've kind of, kind of walked their way through the months of May, June, July, and then right there when September came, all of a sudden the Braves found kind of that last-minute wind in their lungs to get to the finish line and win the pennant of the NL East. And, and Braves fans looking forward to that happening again. Not so much certainty maybe in the NL Central. When we come back after this break, we're going to switch over to talk about the cards. And also, before we wrap up our report here for the first month of baseball, we'll get Art's take on those two Texas American League franchises all that as the y'all show continues in our closing argument of the show all about the south Won't you meet me in St. Louis? I'm John Rawl, back here with Art Cruz, and this is our final hour, what we call the closing argument here of the Y'all Show when we get Art in, and he's giving us a pretty strong argument on Major League Baseball right now. So, Art, should I meet you in St. Louis and catch some Cardinals baseball? Is this a championship-type team we've got here in 2021 for the Cards? I don't know if it's championship-type team, John, uh, I do know that the Cardinals' philosophy seems to be uh, spend just enough money to get into the playoffs, to get into the postseason, and then anything can happen after that. Are they good enough to do that? Yes, they are. They're good enough to win the Central Division, or if they don't win the Central Division, they're good enough to make the postseason. And it is a a crapshoot after that. Uh, uh, Baseball, uh, 
postseason baseball is very unpredictable. You play um, five-game series and seven-game series, and uh, it seems as though the Cardinals, if they can stay away from the injury bug like every other major league team, if they can stay away from the injury bug, I think they'll make it to the postseason this year, yeah. So I know the Cardinals, I believe, coming out of the gate weren't necessarily sprinting to the finish line that first couple of weeks, but have they got their sea legs now? Well, they're in first place in the Central. I guess I'm a tough grader. Uh, I know they're first place in the Central. I'd still give them uh, maybe a B-minus. Molina, Yadier Molina, uh, got out of the gate having one of his best offensive years probably in the past five or six years, but uh, as what happens to 38-year-old catchers, he's now on the injured list. Uh, These things happen uh, to to baseball teams obviously every year but Molina is at that point in his career where minor injuries are a thing of the past all minor injuries are major injuries now he's on the injured list Andrew Kisner is his short-term replacement I don't know that Andrew Kisner is the long-term replacement for Yadier Molina when Molina finally hangs it up but the but Cardinals have have had some really good starting pitching lately and and uh, that historically at least late history uh or recent history has been the bulwark of their team that is run prevention and starting pitching uh they don't have dakota hudson this year of course because of tommy john surgery miles michaelis uh is not in the rotation this year because of injury he has made a rehab start for the triple a memphis redbirds uh They've got 39-year-old Adam Wainwright still in the rotation, but their pitching uh, has been good enough so far to um, sustain them. Whether it can sustain them over the entire season is a question. Now, speaking of injuries, uh, I believe the Cardinals have suffered an injury in the past couple of days that we don't yet know the full effects of. And, of course, the injury I'm talking of now is a seeming arm injury to Jordan Hicks. Uh, Jordan Hicks did not play last year. Uh, He opted out. He's a diabetic. He hadn't pitched in practically two years because he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. Jordan Hicks is, quite frankly, the fastest thrower in the major leagues. If you look at the statistics through StatCast or any other reliable indicator, the first four or five hardest pitches of the year have been thrown by Jordan Hicks. He can run it up there 104, 105 miles per hour. But the other night, he threw a pitch, and um, he grimaced, (laughs) and he is out now, and he's on the injury list. The Cardinals are not releasing any information thus far as to whether it's a surgical problem or whether it's a problem that can be dealt with by rest. But that would be a big blow to the Cardinals if Jordan Hicks couldn't play this year because, quite frankly, one of the reasons, John, they've been doing so well is the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt, has only been having to manage what I call a six-inning game. His bullpen has been so reliable that if he can be in the lead at the end of six innings, the chances were very, very great that the Cardinals were going to win that game because they would have Giovanni Gallegos pitching the seventh inning, Jordan Hicks 
pitching the eighth inning, and then Alex Reyes closing out the game in the ninth inning. Alex Reyes, as a closer, has not not only blown a save this year, he has not allowed a run this year. And here we are over a month into the season. This really puts a, throws a wrench into the Cardinals' bullpen if Jordan Hicks is hurt long term. Can I step up for a Cardinal great here for a moment? Please do. You called out Wainwright for being 39 years old? Yes. How about 41-year-old Albert Pujols? Huh? I want an update from him. How's he doing in L.A.? And are you still kind of uh, hurt that he would abandon the Cardinals to go west? Not really. No, I'm not. I'm, uh, he was given an, an insane contract at the time by Artie Moreno, who was the owner of the California Angels. Uh, Albert is has been, quite frankly, one of the worst hitters in the american league for the past couple of years has he really yeah but he's just he's done he let the money get to him well he's no he's done he's battled injuries uh after he got old after he got beyond his age 35 season and um he hasn't earned the money uh on the baseball field that the angels have paid him he's still one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time uh, am I hurt? I was I was disappointed that Albert left the Cardinals. I was disappointed that uh, he he's not going to have a full size statue right next to Stan Musial outside of Bush Stadium, which he would have gotten if he had stayed in St. Louis. But he followed the money. Uh, he had to take care of his family. I'm not going to criticize the man for doing that. He's once he retires, John. There is a, he has a ten year personal services contract with the Angels. That's going to pay him. I forget untold millions of dollars. So it it was a a competitive offer was made by the Cardinals to keep Albert in St. Louis, but um, it was the extra baseball offer, the ten year personal services deal, and other subsidiary items to that contract he signed in in California that made it difficult for him to turn down. And I think, I, in fact, I know Albert has been. Uh, forgiven by the fans in St. Louis. Last year, the Angels returned to St. Louis. Albert returned, and St. Louis fans are good about welcoming back former Cardinals. A lot of times, uh, they will give a standing ovation, the first at bat to former Cardinals. When Albert came back last year with the Angels, he got a standing ovation, not at his first at bat, but every at bat he Hmm. took during the series, the game was stopped and Albert was giving a standing ovation. And once again, in Albert Pujols' style, he answered the bell. He hit a home run <laughs> and um, was given another standing ovation by the Cardinal fans. Well, let's keep it in the junior league for a moment, and let's talk about those two teams in the Lone Star State. Your thoughts on the Rangers and the Strohs here in 2021. How are they doing? Well, they're both scuffling a little bit, aren't they? Um, uh, the Rangers are, they're both, I think they're in, what, third or fourth place interchangeably mm-hmm. at this point in time. The, uh, uh, the Astros really got a rude awakening the other night when they went back to Yankee Stadium. Uh, this was the first chance that the New York fans got to uh, repay, so to speak, uh, the Astros for their alleged cheating uh, a couple of years ago. I don't ago. think it was alleged. Well, it's been alleged. And when you have Jose Altuve rounding third base and after hitting a game-winning home run, grabbing at his jersey top, yelling at his teammates, don't rip my jersey off, don't rip my jersey off, you figure he's trying to hide something, don't you, John? And I've, I think it was one of those uh, 
electronic devices that, you know, one beep, one buzz for a curveball, two buzzes for a fastball. Uh, uh, they're guilty of it, and uh, the New, New York fans really gave them what for when they came back uh, to New York the other night. And um, the Astros deserved it, I will say. The Astros deserved it. And they got off easy last year with the coronavirus. No fans basically in any of the ballparks the whole season. They still haven't really suffered the consequences of what they did a few years ago. No, no, they haven't. And um, uh, But as long as fans want to continue with that, uh, I'm all for them because uh, – I'm big on the unwritten rules in baseball. I know that's <laughs> yeah. out of favor with a oh, lot of people. Oh, we heard all about it. You're all in but, favor uh, of But there, there is some cheating. Yeah. There is some cheating that is acceptable. But electronic cheating, the way the Astros did it, uh, sign stealing with cameras uh, out in center field, relaying those uh, the catcher signals by electronic means to the hitters in the batter's box, that goes far beyond the pale of what is acceptable or has been accepted. And uh, the Astros deserve everything they're getting now. You know, the Rangers, right there next to the Astros, they're for- in fourth place in the West. Uh, I mentioned, I think I used the term scuffling for both of them. Both teams are scuffling now. They're just around 500. Um, but um, my good my good wishes go out to the Rangers. I don't have those nice, warm thoughts in my heart for the Astros. I got you. What about your defending American League champion, Tampa Bay Rays? Have you seen much of them here in the new year, and do you think they can find themselves back with a pennant here in 2021? Well, the Rays are one of those teams that are never going to be able to contend on a yearly basis. Uh, they're just underfunded. Uh, they catch lightning in a bottle every once in a while. They have some veterans that have played there, uh, like Kevin Kiermaier, uh, who stay there long term, but very few players stay for the Rays long term because when a player gets to the point in his career that he's ready to make some money, the Rays don't pay their players. They ship them off to other teams who will pay a competitive salary, and the Rays rely almost exclusively on the strength of their farm system and their young players. Uh, You never know what a young team like the Rays have is going to do. They've traded some of their top pitching like Blake Snell. I don't look for them to for for them to uh, for them to contend this year but uh it's a crazy year we're coming off a covid year i'm not going to say it's not going to happen but i'm not going to hold my breath for the rays this year but i will for all you tampa fans out there say that uh i think you got a ray of hope that you can get back to the al championship here in 2021 and that is our baseball conversation with art cruz his his grading for the 2021 first month of the season now that we've been playing baseball since right around the end of march when we come back on y'all we're going to wrap this show up and we're going to talk about traveling to south mississippi oh i know a little bit about that i'll tell you some restaurant recommendations around hattiesburg and in the pine belt and we're answering our question that came in through the mailbag at y'all mail at y'all.com that's coming up as we wrap up y'all talk with a southern accent yeah well it's a long way from star mississippi to the big stage i'm singing on tonight 
And sometimes the butterflies still get me when I'm in the spotlight. And some people seem to think that I've changed, that I'm different than I was back then. But in my soul, I know that I'm the same way that I. A Mississippi girl don't change her ways Just cause everybody knows her name Ain't big-headed from a little bit of faith she said it there in a song, Star Mississippi. We were talking about that on the Wednesday Y'all Show. And that is right off of US 49, south of Jackson, Mississippi, on your way to the coast. I'm John Rawl, and I'm joined by Art Cruz. This is the closing argument as we're wrapping up this Thursday Y'all Show. And... We checked the y'all inbox here, and we've got an email coming in from someone needing our help, Art. Someone who's traveling, and they're going to be going through for them. Yeah, they're going to be going through the capital city of the Magnolia State, our twentieth state, I believe, and they're heading to Gulf Shores. So they're going to be going right past Star, Mississippi. They can go by and honk the horn at Fate's parents' house, maybe. There, the Perry's was her maiden name before getting married. But yeah, going to South Mississippi, they asked for our help here on the Y'all Show, wanting some recommendations. So I don't know how much experience you have going through that portion of Mississippi. I've been through there a bunch. We're going to have to rely on you today, John. Okay. I'm sorry. I will just nod in agreement. All right. Well, here is the recommendation that I'm going to be passing along to this listener of the program and if you have a question about anything baseball related or travel related and you want either art or myself's take on your question we are happy to help out we're kind of an uh, a counselor here counselor we're a counselor and you can email mail at y'all.com or text your questions or comments to 803-816-1170. So if you draw a map, if you pull a map and you draw a line between Jackson, Mississippi and Gulf Shores, about halfway between those two places on the map and the only town with any size, in my opinion, is Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg is right off of Interstate 59. That's the interstate that connects New Orleans to Birmingham and goes up to Meridian. Well, that right there goes through there, and, and US 49 intersects Interstate 59 there at Hattiesburg. So, our, our person asking the question, I suggest you spend the night hunker down in Hattiesburg when you go through that area. And so, what are you going to do when you're in Hattiesburg? Well, of course, you can go by and see the local college there. You know which college I'm talking about there? Brett Favre University. No, I'm talking about William Carey University, the Crusaders. (laughs) Now, there's two colleges in Hattiesburg, William Carey and University of Southern Mississippi. Brett Favre, U, and that is uh, certainly there awaiting anybody's visit to Hattiesburg. You can't miss it, frankly. But when you're there, go by and see a guy who was a columnist for Y'all Magazine for a long time, Robert St. John. He's an acclaimed Southern chef. He's got a bunch of different restaurants, but one of his restaurants is the Crescent City Grill. So I would suggest a a nice meal at the Crescent City Grill. You can go to the website for that grill. It's crescentcitygrill.net and learn all about Robert St. John and what he's got going on with multiple restaurants. But I've been to the Crescent City Grill before. It is yummy, yummy, yummy. 
and uh, that is what I would recommend for sort of a a fine dining experience. Three and, th- three yummies. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Robert St. John is a, an author. He's been on a bunch of TV shows, and he, he lives in the Hattiesburg area, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. And then from a more informal setting, if you don't want quite the the fancy fancy meal that you get at Crescent City Grill, Hattiesburg is home of Wards. Wards is a chain of fast food burger joints that you only find in South Mississippi and maybe around Mobile and wards has awesome hamburgers they have an amazing soft serve ice cream and you also get from them they have their own root beer that comes in a frosty mug and you can get it right there on your table the frosted mug with the root beer and you start seeing wards about 20 miles south of star mississippi and when you get to mcgee mississippi on us 49 that's where you'll have your first encounter with wards so that that's more of the fast food option but a lovely, lovely place, again, all over South Mississippi. I'm kind of high on wards. Sounds like it. They, Sounds like you like the sarsaparilla there. Well, they got good burgers. They got great hot dogs. Their chili is fantastic. So that's one of the things here on this show we talk about that you just ain't going to get anywhere else, the kind of knowledge about what's going on from a food standpoint and travel standpoint. So I've given you your two good options. Another place if you got time this is a chain too also based out of hattiesburg mug shots have you ever been to a mug shot i never have they've got them in tuscaloosa and oxford and uh, several other places around the south if you if you haven't been to mug shots they actually will give you a free burger if you do their challenge and i'll have to put this out on social media there's a a lady that travels the country and does these food challenges where she tries to eat right, in a right. certain amount of time mm-hmm. and she's a little tiny thing and she ate at Mugshots and ate this humongous burger and fries and drinking in like 15 minutes. It's a really fun video, but she did it. And you can get your own free meal, too, if you take the Mugshots challenge. Now, when you get to that part of the world, South Mississippi, getting toward Louisiana, I love po'boys. Mm-hmm. And there was a great po'boy place right across the street from Southern Miss's football stadium, M.M. Roberts Stadium, The Rock. Unfortunately, it closed so I can't tell you to go get a, a shrimp po' boy in Hattiesburg right now. I'm sure there's somebody else filling in the gap there. But uh, a good place to spend a good day or two, Hattiesburg, a lot of tourism-related stuff in that area. And you're not far there if you're into the home improvement stuff. And forgive me, I don't know the name of the show. But there's a couple that do kind of home repairs, and they are in Laurel, Mississippi, about 15 miles up the road. And that might be something, if you've got Sweetie with you, she would love going into the uh, – a laurel which where they they essentially have gone in and restored all kinds of homes and stuff check that out now if you're going to try to make it toward mobile you can stop in loosedale mississippi that's just before you get to the alabama line there you'll find the landmark cafe and grill in loosedale i haven't been there i understand it's really really good though and then you get on into alabama mobile's got lots of great options too so i'm not exactly sure where you want to settle in for the evening uh, person that emailed us here but we appreciate you doing that and enjoy your trip let us know how it worked out and if you followed any of our suggestions see we're we're just helpers here on the y'all show art we love to answer people's questions right. I, i'm still scared that you asked me about did i know about mug shots but i thought i was being charged <laughs> with a crime no uh, but, uh, mug shots uh, bar and grill is uh, what it's called i'm, I'm glad um Glad my fears were unfounded, John. Good place to watch a ball game. I've done that many times. They Usually a lot of them have the Sunday ticket type deal, and I've gone on many uh, NFL Sunday and watched mugshots, uh, cameras and such, 
with their coverage of NFL and, and even some college sports stuff too. A good option. Well, that will wrap up our Thursday Y'all Show. It's always a pleasure to be on here with Art Cruz and discuss what's going on in the Southeast. And we'll be right back here in the host chairs on the Friday edition of Y'all. We'll have Craig Faulkner in for our fishing forecast and more action across the Southeast. Art, thank you so much. Thank we'll you, John. see you tomorrow. Yes, this has been Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent.